everybody. Welcome back to Critically United. This is our follow-up to the interview with Jesse Rood, constitutionalist and constitutional scholar. I want to take some time and really absorb kind of what he was saying, kind of align it with my beliefs, think about things a little bit more, and then come back to you guys in a couple weeks, which I'm doing now, and talk a little bit about uh, the interview and some other commentary and observations I have about it. I got my trusty piece of paper here. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., you will not see it. If you're on YouTube, you will see the piece of paper with all my notes. There it is. Look at me. Well, the first thing I wanted to say was thank you to Jesse Root for taking the time to meet and really talk honestly about his feelings about the Constitution, specifically the Second Amendment and the 14th Amendment. We talked a little bit about that as well. Um, one of the biggest takeaways from this and one of the positives I really liked hearing from him was that the the forefound the forefathers I should say I almost said four founders they are founders but forefathers of the constitution they really wanted us to have discourse they wanted us to disagree they wanted us to come together and talk and debate and then come out the other side with some sort of resolution you know um, and move forward and that's what they did. And it, it was designed that way. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective that he pushed forward, that the, the Constitution lays out a design for debate and discourse. And clearly that's something that we're lacking in this country right now and something we need to get back to. Uh, I think one of the most important things about that is that the element of listening to others and learning is lost when all you do is hear what, you know, what your perspective is from other people. If you surround yourself with right-wingers, left-wingers, you know, Christian, ultra-right people, ultra-progressive, woke people, whatever, that's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to believe. You're not going to get any sort of nuances to what's really going on in the real world because the reality is these sort of extreme viewpoints and clusters aren't the majority of people. The majority of people are people like myself, like Jesse Rude, probably like you, where we fall somewhere in the middle. Uh, so I think that's one of the biggest takeaways is about discourse, debate, that it is fully supported and laid out in the U.S. Constitution, and we need to get back to that. So one of the other things I really thought was interesting is his kind of dovetailing off of that that subject right there is that he indicated to me, he's like, hey, I, I bet you run into the same problem, which is he can't talk to people about Donald Trump. He can't talk to people about Joe Biden. Why? Because these people have such strong viewpoints on one side or the other that if you approach him with something in the middle, you know, God forbid you say, you know, Trump did some good stuff. He's a jerk, but he did some good stuff, you know, and people are just, oh, no, he's a he's evil. He's, you know, he's the Antichrist. Da, 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 da. And then the on the other side, you know, Biden's doing some good stuff. People be like, oh, he's the worst and it's inflation and he's letting every illegal alien over the border. Now, the reality is that, yeah, probably all those things are true to some extent. However, there's middle ground. And that's what he was alluding to is that you should be able to point out the positives and the negatives about any political figure, really anybody in your life, 
and look at it honestly and, and have a critical thinking aspect to it where you're like, hey, you know what? This guy's not all bad, but I can only rely on him for certain things. And I can't rely on them for other things because that's not what they are. And I think that that's logical, right? We do that in our lives anyway with friends or relationships or family. Why don't we apply the same, the same factors to our politicians and the people that are leaders? You know, uh, we should be able to do that. We should be able to talk honestly without, you know, getting uh, metaphorically slapped in the face or canceled or whatever you want to call it. Um, so anyway. I thought that was really interesting, and the fact that even within families and friendships that we can't talk about these things, that's absolutely ridiculous, okay? We need to, we need to take that ideology and throw it out the window, in my opinion, because that's really holding us back. Uh, kind of dovetailing off that as well. So uh, we talked about uh, Trump and Biden, and I want to kind of just get off the rails here about our election coming up. Now, why the heck are we allowing these two guys to run again? Why? I don't understand. Nobody want all the polls show it. No one wants this particular matchup. We don't want Biden and we don't want Trump. We want other people to be leaders in this country and we want other people to vote for yet. Here we are again. And I have no answer. When I asked him, he didn't know why either, to be honest with you. It's ridiculous. Uh, one of the things I did see in a Gallup poll, which I thought was really interesting, was that currently the people who identify as Republicans, Democrats, and then independents. And this poll was done over 10,000 people, and it's only like, Three weeks old. It was done in late uh, January. I think it was 23rd or something like that. Anyway, in the Gallup poll, 27% of people identified as Democrats, 25% identified as uh, Republican. It was 40, I can't remember, 47%. Pretty sure, probably should have written this down. would have been better not on top of my head. But it was like 45 or 47% considered themselves independent. What does that mean? That means that people like me, like Jesse Rube, hopefully like yourself, can vote for whoever they think will do the best job, right? And the reality is that the polarization of parties in this country is going to start eroding, meaning that these two factions on both sides together are basically what the center is right now, meaning independents, people that want to vote for people who will do the job regardless of their party. So party politics continues probably because out of corruption and a lot of other things. However, there's hope. The hope is, is that people use their independent thinking, their critical thinking, they analyze things, and they vote for people who will do the job regardless of their party. That's the hope. <laughs> Let's branch off to uh, Jesse Rude's uh, comments about the Second Amendment. Now, I, I could have confronted him more on these topics, but... To be a good sport and to kind of keep the rules of being a critical thinker and bringing people on and having them speak honestly without putting them on defensive, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to absorb it, you know, talk to them a little bit, and then come back to you guys and talk about it. So I think 
what I got out of it was Jesse Rood is a protectionist of the Constitution. And I respect that. I really do. The Constitution, as I stated uh, last episode, is one of the only unifying things we have in this country. And when we stray away from it, we get divided. And if we can get back to what the intent of the Constitution is, then we should be able to come together and move forward as our forefathers intended. So with that being said, I don't agree with everything he said about the Second Amendment. Primarily, when I asked him the question about automatic weapons and should they be outlawed, curtailed, um, restricted, his answer was no. On one hand, I understand. He's a purist. He doesn't want the Constitution to be um, uh, changed. He doesn't want it to be manipulated. He wants it to stay as pure and as intentional as it was when it was written. And I respect that. And I think for the most part, that's probably the right approach. However, the Second Amendment to me is was put in there for defense. In other words, another government, our government, tries to take us over and therefore the population has weapons and therefore can defend themselves and our democracy and, you know, America thrives. I get that. However, the world we live in right now, the reality about saying an AK-47 or, um, you know, a semi-automatic or an automatic weapon needs, in other words, needs to be in our society. I don't buy that. I just don't buy it. Um, I think there are weapons that can be restricted or eliminated uh, from the population, and I think we're fine. I think we still have all the ability to defend ourselves if that were to ever happen. People can still hunt. The The thing he said about knives and other killings in other countries, I, I don't think it was very strong, personally. I tried to ask him about countries like uh, Australia, you know, Britain, uh, Canada, you know, why they're, their rate of death via these uh, mass shootings is uh, so low. And I don't think he had an answer to that, except that we should continue to support gun rights. Okay. So there has to be some middle ground here, is my point. Um, I, I, it's not that I didn't like that we couldn't get there with Jesse. I just disagree. And, and that's okay. Uh, but I do think in the future, we're going to have to look at that. We're going to have to look at some sort of compromise where the Second Amendment is upheld. People can have the right to bear arms. However... When there is some crazy nut that goes into a school, they don't have the ability to wipe out dozens of people in 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Um, I do think protecting the schools, as we talked about in the podcast, is probably a, a, a logical first step. But I think down the road, the Second Amendment will have to be looked at, and we will have to look at what it means to have reasonable defense within our citizenry and what people are allowed to own. But that's just my take. Um, I'm just looking through my notes here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the 14th Amendment. So uh, going back to Trump, I asked him if he thought Trump violated the 14th Amendment. His comment was, if what he did was an insurrection, then yes, he violated the 14th Amendment. Okay. So I went back and I looked at 
kind of what happened, honestly, right? Like I said, I'm, I don't hate Donald Trump. I don't love him. He did some things good. I think he's kind of a jerk and a narcissist, but that's a personality trait and it is what it is, whatever. His actions, however, on January 6th, in my opinion, uh, did border on insurrection in the sense that he didn't do anything to stop it. And there were people at the Capitol, breaching the Capitol, where he was, that were there because of him. They weren't there because of some random like movement or you know a march on Washington. They were there because of Donald Trump, because Donald Trump had said the election was stolen, which it wasn't. <laughs> and I think that's pretty clear. Now, can elections be run better? Sure. But it wasn't stolen. And when these people started crossing into the Capitol building, he didn't get, you know, on the TV or, you know, social media or anything or Twitter. Like he was, tw he was tweeting like 20 times a day and he didn't get on Twitter and say, hey, I'm the president. Please stop doing this. It's the violence is unnecessary. You know, I feel like I've been robbed of an election, but that doesn't mean you should be doing this. Like, you know. That's a presidential thing to do. So I do think that he has some culpability with the actions of the people that were there because of him. He, inc he incited them, and he did nothing to stop them. So I do think that there's, there's some insurrection there. Yeah, just my opinion. All right, let's get off of the interview part. Now, when I was away thinking about all this stuff that happened with the Jesse Bruton interview, I went to Europe. I went on a ski trip to Austria. Um, I'm going to offshoot a few things here. They're completely unrelated, but I think they're interesting. Uh, the first is, when I was on the plane, I watched the movie Oppenheimer. Now, first of all, I thought it was a great movie. Uh, I thought from a filmmaking standpoint, it was more almost like a documentary, sort of, like where it shows you kind of what happened where, why it happened, you know, the backstory of Oppenheimer and how he came to be so knowledgeable and figured out how to make these bombs work. Uh, but what I did like was the messaging, and it made me think back to the Jesse Root interview. Now, I'll, I'll kind of circle back around and kind of tie it together. So I think the most poignant part of the movie was where when they're dropping the bombs, when he realizes that they're going to do it, there's a sense of responsibility. And it's, it's weighed out by the necessity to do it because at that time, they didn't have social media. They didn't have video conference calling. They, all they could do was call Japan. And uh, would Japan pick up? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. They were you know, highly at war with us. They were angry at us. I don't know if we can do any sort of like diplomatic verbiage over the phone so they needed to see that this thing would destroy one of their cities so how do you accomplish that i don't know i mean i you send them a film then they think it's it's manipulated do you fly one of their you know officials out to watch one of these tests in the nevada desert maybe i don't know but would they come would they think it's a trap like this is in the 1940s you know so I do see that there was a necessity to drop one of these bombs. I, I, I still don't understand why they had to be dropped on these huge um, population uh, clusters. 
I don't really understand that part of it. You could have demonstrated the force of it um, in another way. Personally, I think that could have been done. Uh, in the movie, they they put it on president, and it was his decision, basically, a show of force. Um, a little maniacal, the way they portray him. But anyway, uh, overall good movie. I thought it, it ropes back into today because we do have the ability to talk. That's what I wanted to get to, which is we have the ability through social media, through Zoom, through FaceTime, whatever it is. There's ways that we can communicate with other people that we don't get along with, like virtually, and they can't question whether it's real or not because we, we can't send them a, you know, a manipulation of a film of a bomb in a desert. We can actually show it to them live. Um, so our world's changed a lot, and I think if this were have if we would have had that technology back then, we probably wouldn't have dropped those two bombs. That's kind of what I pulled away from it. Um, so my time in Europe. Very interesting. So Europe, I've been there before, traveled a bit, and went back for a ski trip. Now, I was mostly in Austria, but I was also in uh, Zurich, Switzerland, and uh, the resort I was at was half in Austria and half in Switzerland. So the, the cool part was, you know, tens of thousands of people we ran into over a week, you know, on the ski mountain and Apra ski, which is nuts, by the way. Um... And very, like, I think I saw like a handful of Americans and I, they could have been Canadian. I just heard their voice. So point is a very different uh, world over there um, where we were. There was Germans, uh, Hungarians, Austrians, Swiss, French, Italian, probably they'll be the main ones. And some observations about not only the culture, but the way they treat each other. Um, there's a lot of civility in the way that um, these different cultures interact. Anywhere. You're out on the ski slope, you're in a restaurant, you're at Apra Ski where there's like, you know, a thousand people crammed into this little building and people bump into each other and especially men. And they don't freak out. Like here they'd be like, hey bro, while you bump into me, let's brawl. You know, it's like that whole attitude. Um, doesn't exist there. It's really interesting. And very refreshing. So you've got all these different cultures that somehow manage to work together. They, they're completely different ideologies, completely different cultures, different backgrounds, but somehow they work together and they respect each other. And I really love that part of it. And I think there's a lot we could learn about that. Um, I don't think that, you know, everything's perfect in Europe, certainly, you know, where I was. But that part of it, which is, you put aside politics because obviously our political system is very different than it is there. It's socialized. And the way the economics work and healthcare and taxing and all that. So socialized countries obviously have a higher tax. They get services that everybody gets. In America, we take a different approach, which is like, you know, capitalism and the hardest working cream rises to the top. You know, the ideology is different. However, socially... They're very much like us. They're, they're Westerners. And there is no reason why we can't have the kind of civility they have there here. We just choose not to, you know? And that's kind of sad. So I think really what I drew away from the trip there and reflecting back on the interview with Jesse and looking at kind of how divided we are as a country 
is, you know, are we going to let politics and politicians program us, you know, to view the other side as an enemy? Are we going to allow that? In other words, are we going to allow, you know, a political party, uh, a media outlet, uh, social media, all the things that's reiterating our specific kind of agenda? Are we going to allow that to poison our mind towards the other people on the other side? In other words, I didn't agree with a lot of things Jesse said, which I alluded to and spoke about earlier. However, it doesn't mean I hate the guy. It doesn't mean that I, I'm angry or, you know, it's like, no, I respect the fact that he has ideology, he has passion about it, he has belief, and I learned some things. And it doesn't mean it's I'm going to change my mind, but I learned. And that makes me a better person. And that, that enables me to move forward because now I respect that person as opposed to hating him. And I think that's one of the things that we need to decide as a country. Are we going to unite? Or are we going to allow this to continue and be split and divided and create anger, distrust, and an inability to move forward? Which country do we want? So I pose that to you. You think about it at home. Uh, this is Critically United with Frederick Remick. And me for one, I'd like us to move forward together. So anyway, talk to you next time. Take care.